Welcome to Cornerstone, a podcast by Rebuild Fellowship. On today's episode, Pastor KJ will continue his message, which has been titled, Generosity Gone Wrong. This message is a contrast to our previous message from Pastor Chuck and illustrates how generosity can go wrong in the life of a believer. The text for this message can be found in Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 5 right now as we join in with Pastor KJ. So the first point, when giving goes right, is that it exalts Jesus Christ. Well, when giving goes wrong, it's often because it exalts me. The emphasis of the story of Ananias and Sapphira seems to be the hoarding of their blessing for themselves and the subsequent manipulation and lying in order to keep it. This was out of order with God's purpose for his stewards. The way that he designed us to function. The way that he purposed for his people to function. Consequently, it created disunity, which God takes seriously. And undermined the very way God intends for the world to be cared for, which God also takes seriously. Ananias and Sapphira seem to forget the gospel of the kingdom. They are simply stewards of God's blessing to them that, that was supposed to be a blessing to everyone. God has been so generous to us. How can we not be generous to others? How can we carve out stuff for ourselves and thus communicate that we don't really trust God to provide? We don't really trust the others around us to care for us. Remember, our generosity should flow from gratitude for what God has done for us. And when we try to carve things out or try to withhold from the Lord, we're communicating to Him that we don't trust Him and that we have better plans for ourselves. Listen to what Pastor Rich Velotis says. We cannot manipulate the goodness of God. Generosity is not a strategy to get more, but an expression of gratitude for what God has already provided. Being generous is a response to a generous God. In Matthew 18, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this story of the unforgiving servant. So there's a king who is uh, reconciling all of his debt. So he brings a, a servant in uh, front of him who owes him a ton of money. Think Powerball last week levels of money that this guy owes the king. And so the king's like, pay up. And the guy's like, I can't. Have mercy on me. Please, I can't do it. And so the king does. He forgives him. Wipes away the debt. Says, debt's gone. Go free. The man can't believe it. He goes outside. He's all excited. Then he bumps into somebody who owes him $2. He says to the guy, pay up. And the guy's like, I can't. And so he calls in the police, has the guy arrested and throws, in the debtor, throws him into debtor's prison. The king hears about this, calls the servant back in front of him and is like, what are you doing? I just forgave you an amount that it was impossible for you to pay. I forgave you of that and you can't even forgive this guy for $2. This story that uh, Jesus tells is centered around forgiveness. But it's a biblical principle that we need to understand. That we are to be to others the way that God has been to us. We are to forgive others the way that God has forgiven us. We are to be generous to others in the same way that God has been generous to us. Being generous ought to be a defining characteristic of God's people because that's the way that God is to us. When it's not... When we are not generous, 
then it indicates a core or foundational issue that will require God to address in order that we live in line with our design. If we are not generous, it indicates that we don't fully understand what God has done and therefore are not in right relationship with Him. Because what God has been to us, we ought to be to other people. And in those places where we are not like our Lord, God is going to have to do something to draw us and conform us to His image. The second thing Pastor Chuck told us is that when generosity goes right, it becomes the ethos of the church. <clears throat> well, I'm going to suggest that when giving goes wrong, it also becomes the ethos of the church. Here's what I mean by this. And this is a hard truth. The ethos or characteristics of the church at large are mostly earned. Let me say that again. The ethos of the church at large is mostly earned. Most people's perception of the church at large is based on personal experience or the experience of someone they know, love, trust, or identify with. There are exceptions, of course, <clears throat> but I haven't come across many people who have just made st stuff up, bad stuff up about the church. Most of it has come from something that they have experienced or seen or heard that's based on something true. This is heavy and this is hard. What is the reputation of the church? What is it that you hear? What I hear is that the church in, at large, again, is negative, mean-spirited, judgmental, unloving, critical. Listen, I really believe that churches have earned that reputation. It doesn't mean that the church throughout time hasn't done anything good or the church at present hasn't done anything good. In fact, throughout history, most of the greatest advancements in science and medicine have been led by Christians. Most of the reforms in society, like access to education and health care, as well as ending slavery and child labor, have been championed by Christians. But there are also times throughout history, including the 20th and 21st centuries, where the church has also tolerated and at times celebrated abuse, oppression, and cruelty. We need to own the part we have played in creating the reputation that we have. I think this would go a long way in changing our reputation. There seems to be a correlation between the church's affluence and power in society and corruption and disregard for the poor. This pattern goes all the way back to Israel in the Old Testament. Look, I am not a church hater. In fact, it's just the opposite. When God invited me out of the workforce 16 years ago to join a church staff, it was to be identified with the mess rather than to remain critical on the outside pointing fingers. I really felt like it was an invitation to join the reform that God was wanting to do inside the church. Look, I love the church. I love Rebuild Fellowship, and I love the church at large. I love the Bride of Christ. And I really believe that the church is God's plan for transforming our world and building His kingdom. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 16. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Revelation tells us that in the end, 
God wins. But transformation only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we only have access to the power of the Holy Spirit when we are united around God's purposes, not our own purposes. And the fact is that the church at large is sometimes united around our own purposes. We have preached and come to believe a truncated form of the gospel and then partially obey only those things that seem to benefit me and my family and those that are like us. We have forgotten the gospel of the kingdom and our role as stewards who are blessed to be a blessing to the whole world. We must admit where we are so we can return. Right? We need to identify and understand where we really are so that we can get back to where we're supposed to be. I think we have allowed the love of money and power to distract us from our kingdom priorities. Jesus warned about this over and over and over again. It's the thing he warned about the most. So we need to be willing to hear what Jesus was saying and then willing to consider if we are, if we are struggling with those same things. We need the truth to set us free. We need sin to be exposed so that we can be restored. We need to be honest about our weaknesses so that God's power can be made perfect in us and on display, not pretend that we don't have weaknesses. Our ethos, the ethos of the church, what people see from us, should be justice and mercy, grace and truth, love and beauty. Let the church be hated and rejected for being like Jesus, not like a caricature that would be unrecognizable to him. Ananias and Sapphira were threatening Jesus' reputation and the Holy Spirit's power by being dishonest and manipulative and breaking the unity of the disciples. Let's make sure that, the, that that is not the reputation of the church at large. And let's start with establishing a generous and giving ethos at Rebuild. In my 10 months here, it's one of the things I love about what's going on here. This is a generous fellowship, a generous body. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And I thank you for the ways that you are generous. Let us consider and reflect if God is calling us to greater levels of generosity, into broader areas of generosity. And if any of us are on the outside looking in, maybe this is the time for us to step in, to jump in and be a part of it. Not just appreciate the generosity of others here, but to be a part of that generosity. So the third thing that Pastor Chuck told us last week, when giving goes right, is that it elevates the community. I think that also means when giving goes wrong, it's often because we have elevated the individual at the expense of the community. Ananias and Sapphira were willing to allow others in their community to suffer while they enjoyed greater comfort. The withholding of their portion of their profit directly impacted those around them. This is a tough one for us. Christians have allowed the world and the systems of the world to lead us. And I think it's because churches have benefited too often from those very systems. We have bought into the idea that our singular responsibility is for ourselves and our families and maybe even for those like us. And then if we have extra, we can share if we want to, but it's optional. 
This shows up in our decisions about where we choose to live, where we send our kids to school, what kind of career we choose or insist our kids choosing. The decision matrix that we often use starts and often ends with what is best for me and my spouse and my kids. We view God's resources as limited and therefore we think we need to go ahead and make sure we get ours before they run out. When we read how the early church had everything in common, it should make us realize that God's blueprint for his kingdom ought to include our broader community. We even have records from the 4th century, from the Roman Emperor Julian, who laments that the Christians were taking better care of the poor pagan children than the Romans were of their own kids because they were so generous and they took care of everyone in the community. Generosity toward the whole community was always supposed to be an identifying characteristic of God's people. We see this all through the Bible, all the way back in the Old Testament. God established gleaning laws and jubilee laws, not as suggestions, but as expectations. Which means that God doesn't think singular concern for ourselves and our families is an option for his followers. This is what God expected. People who owned a field, so this is the, the gleaning laws, right? People who owned a field or a business were commanded to pay the temple tax. So think tithe. They were commanded to do that. And then in addition to that, they were to leave the edges of their fields so that the poor could glean and take up whatever is out there. Listen, this is a terrible business model. This is a terrible business model. They were literally leaving money on the table or field in this case. After paying their tithe, they were not maximizing their profit. But God's plan for building his kingdom is by his people reflecting his generous nature into the world, not by maximizing profit and squeezing every penny and dollar out of it, but by being generous. Why? Because we are just stewards of God's resources. We are not owners. What would our communities be like if every Christian practiced gleaning in their work context? Whether you're the owner or manager or simply an employee, what would it look like if you were to practice this kind of gleaning where you gave some portion of the edges of what you do to others? Maybe it's in straight gifts or hiring people, hiring practices, offering training, access to your network, there's all kinds of ways we could apply this. I really believe that we wouldn't have any needs among us. I really believe the issues of poverty in our communities would be gone, would be changed. And more importantly, God would get the glory that he deserves because his reputation would be based on who he actually is as a generous, loving, good God. And the, and the reputation of the church would be different. We see in these early passages in Acts and then the rest of the epistles and throughout most of the history of the church that when the church was unified around God's purposes, they were most filled with the Holy Spirit and that led to the most transformation in the community. Do we see this connection here? When the church was unified around God's purposes, they had access to the Holy Spirit and were filled with the Holy Spirit, which led to the transformation of their communities. Being in unity meant they were treating everything they had as common 
for God's purposes and for the good of others and the whole community. They were not so inwardly, singularly focused. And that's where we'll stop and pause for today. Thank you for taking your time with us today. If you would like to learn more about our church or have us pray for you in any way, you can find us at www.rebuildchurch.com. That is www.rebuildchurch.com. Our church meets in Durham, North Carolina, and if you're looking for a church to attend, we'd love to have you join us. We meet weekly at 10 a.m. on Sunday, and you can find more details about what to expect and where we are on our website. You can also find our full services on our YouTube channel. Please join us for our next episode as Pastor KJ will finish up his message titled, Generosity Gone Wrong. 